I think it was after my first deployment where I was like, uh, at least subconsciously, um, I was like, no, this is going to be something that is going to always be a part of me. And so I might as well see where it takes me. Now you talk about the, and we'll loosely call it the unhealthy approach of wanting to kind of stay in that circle. Yeah. What was it like for you going on throughout your entire career and, and coming out? Did you struggle with losing that or, or was it easy to walk away from it? The, that's a good question, man. I think, <clears throat> I think there's a, a part of you that is, again, after, you know, over 20 years, I got to serve. There's a, a, your, your entire young adulthood is dictated. I was going to say formed, but is dictated to by the, by the big organization. And so, um, to cut that loose is also cutting loose your young adulthood. And now coming face to face with the fact that, you know, like there's that funny thing where like a guy joins at 18 and 20 years later, he gets out and he's still listening to the same music, wearing the same clothes from, cause it's like a, a time capsule. Um, and so, uh, it, it, for me, it wasn't so much at that point, 20 years later, it wasn't about, uh, the difficulty about leaving the organization cause it's going to stay with you. Um, I think, uh, for me, I'd gotten to a point where I didn't feel compatible with the organization I had initially joined. Um, the world changes and, and the, the, the military, uh, I guess is supposed to change with the times. And I mean, I see the merits to that, but it, it got to the point where, um, I didn't feel compatible with it anymore. Welcome, everybody. I'm joined this week by Eric Franco. Eric joined the Army right out of high school on an airborne contract. He eventually served 23 years and actually got the opportunity and passed SF selection in his early 30s. He retired in 2021 as an E-7. Early in his military career, he began training MMA on his own, and then the Army gave him the opportunity to become a combatives instructor. He actually had the dream of becoming the next Randy Couture, albeit maybe a smaller version. But the punches to the face and the checking kicks with his shins just got old. And so he shifted his focus to just jujitsu and eventually earned a black belt. In 2023, out of the military for a couple of years, he wasn't looking to own his own business, but as he describes it, one door closes, another doors open up. And what I mean by that is he and his wife now own and operate Virtus BJJ in Paso Robles, California. I hope you enjoy the conversation. I appreciate him opening up the studio for us to record there. So let's get into it. Here's episode 121 with Eric Franco. Let's start it easy. Cool. Talk to me where, where you grew up. So I grew up in LA, um, West LA, Santa Monica area, uh, born in the eighties and then came up, you know, 80, 90 kid. So before the advent of technology and, and all the distractions it allows or the <laughs> positive aspects of it. Um, so yeah, down in LA grew up in the eighties and nineties, big family, small family. I'm the oldest of four, but the extended family is ginormous. Yeah. Now, when you say LA, has your family been in LA a long time or? Yeah. So my, my, both of my parents came over from Mexico in the mid late sixties. Um, they settled in Santa Monica. And so, you know, they, they'd been well-established by the time I came around. What'd your mom and dad do? What'd your dad do for a living? My dad was a laborer, man. He worked at a, a water heater company in Santa Monica, just on, on the assembly line, you know, dealing with sheet metal and stuff. 
And my mom, uh, she worked at St. John's hospital in Santa Monica. Um, yeah, just kind of admin type gal. Uh, so yeah. As a kid in Santa Monica, were you a surfer? Were you down at the beach a lot? I, I wish. No, I, I, uh, we, we were of modest means. We weren't struggling. My parents, you know, hustled for us for sure. Um, but there wasn't a whole bunch of expendable time or income for, for anything. Um, so no, we, we just, you know, goofed off really. What took up your time as a kid? Were you into sports? Um, you know, it was the come back in with the street lights turn on, you know, so I'm out playing with the neighbor kids. Um, not so much anything organized or formal, never did like jujitsu or anything like that. It, mom and dad were working, man. So, you know, when, once school was out, we're, we're back home and just living family life. How were you at school? Ah, uh, I, I graduated, <laughs> you know, um, I, I, I was, uh, my interests were outside the classroom, I think. Um, or my, my, my dreams were. And so I, I got by, but I was no stellar student for sure. What were you, what were your dreams when you talk about that as a kid? Um, I liked being outside. I think cause we grew up in the city, um, that I was very, very much attracted to the outdoor stuff. So like we never went camping. We never, you know, went hiking or nothing, you know, we're Mexican family. We don't, we don't go out there, <laughs> but, uh, but as a result of that, I think I had a fascination with being outside. So, um, I, I always dreamed of, you know, going camping, doing outside stuff. A lot of, you know, some classmates were like, Oh, we went camping this weekend. And, and I'd be, Oh, that sounds cool. And I'd get like a, you know, catalog back in the day and I'd flip through like camping gear. Like, Oh, I'd made my little list of things I always wanted, but, but no, nah, never, never, never materialized. <laughs> as far as coming towards the end of school and going into adulthood, was the military already on your radar at that point? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, so I had two, my parents were saints, man. And so they're very careful with what sorts of movies and stuff we watched. So we watched a lot of old classic stuff. And so, um, uh, I'd like watching, um, like old war movies and you might agree that a lot of the older stuff, it's not gory or super gnarly. So, you know, my parents were okay with watching them and I kind of started, uh, growing an affinity towards, towards service. And so even the cheesy stuff, like, um, you know, anchors away, like those old World War II, like musicals and stuff. And I was like, oh, neat uniforms and, you know, parades and things, you know, kind of ignorantly. But I, I did already have the kind of um, draw to service. Um, we're, we're, we're Catholic family. And so that was a big theme in our upbringing too. And so uh, I was kind of drawn to the adventure of it all. Like growing up here in California, we learned about the California missions and how they came from the old world to the new world. To me, that seemed terribly exciting, like you know, that adventure and then coming here and doing something worthwhile. So that kind of that kind of uh, build up in my formation, I think, started pointing me in the direction of it, too. And then um, by the time high school was wrapping up, I, I knew I wanted to join. Yeah. Were, you, were you set on the army at that point in time or did you kind of go look at all the branches? I, I it was between the Marines and the army. Um, and the Marine recruiters were just kind of notoriously Marine recruiters, man. They weren't very personable. I was like, dang, dude, I'm not even in. You're already treating me like garbage. So, <laughs> um, but ultimately I went with the army cause they had an option opportunity for me to be a paratrooper, which really appealed to me cause it terrified me. I mean, even joining the military terrified me. Right. But I was like, all right, I'll, I'll try to challenge myself to do that. And then take it one step further to jump out of aircraft seemed awesome. So that's why I ultimately went with the army. And what year was that? I joined 1998. So 
first Gulf had already happened. Yeah. What were your parents' thoughts as far as you joining the military at that yeah, point? Yeah. You know, I think, uh, I think on one hand they're like, dang, he's not going to grow up to be the doctor or the lawyer that we were <laughs> always telling him he should be. But, uh, cause your grades were leaning cause me towards my grades are not <laughs> medical school. Yeah. Uh, but, but I think on the other hand, I think they might've been a, a little relieved that at least I had a plan. Um, and so they were, they were lukewarm, uh, but you know, they're, awesome guy folks. So they, they still supported. Do you keep yourself out of trouble as a young kid or? Yeah. Uh, for the most part. Yeah. Again, towards the end of high school, I, I did some stupid stuff. I think is we all, I, did. I'd like to think is a universal <laughs> uh, occurrence, but, um, I did some stupid stuff and, and I got in a little bit of trouble. Uh, nothing nefarious, just bad decision-making. Um, but then, uh, I got that kind of cleared up and, and that allowed me to, to pursue it. How was it when you actually went in? You're in boot camp now. Yeah. Did that change f- for you? So I'm at Fort Knox uh, and the, the notorious first morning, right? So, you know, they're hollering and screaming at you a little bit, but not a whole bunch. But then I remember that first morning at, you know, zero five or whatever it was. And it's on, man. Like just the, the, the trash cans, the screaming, the yelling. And I do remember going like, I think I've made a mistake because <laughs> I was already jet lagged from the trip from LA to Kentucky. And then all the you know long nights of doing paperwork or whatever to get you launched. And I remember the first morning I was like, I think I've made a mistake, but I, I, I made it, uh, you know, that one day. And then, you know, they always tell you, you know, just make it to lunch or make it to breakfast, make it to lunch, make it to dinner. And so I took that to heart, that approach. And, and so that got me through. And then um, and then I was, I was succeeding. I was doing pretty well. And so that kind of boosted my confidence and I, and I kept persevering through. When you went on that first enlistment, was your plan to do a career or just one enlistment and then reevaluate it? I don't think so. I, I think it was like, uh, I'll do this for now. Uh, I, I think I had a little bit of like my, uh, wanting to make my folks happy in the back of my head. So like, no, I'll, I'll do this. I'll get the college money and then I'll, I'll go on from there. But no, I didn't go, turn out that way. How far into that first enlistment did it kind of change for you and where you're like, okay, let's make this a career or did it not change in that first enlistment? I think it did. Cause right smack in the middle of my first enlistment was nine 11. And so then the deployment started happening. Um, and then, you know, after that first deployment, uh, it was, um, it becomes such an ingrained part of you because you spend day in and day out downrange and the, you know, you, you develop that, that cohesiveness or that brotherhood with your, with your folks and everything, your buddies. And so then it became kind of like, I can't imagine my life without this circle, this experience, uh, not necessarily the healthiest probably way to have approached it, but I think it's just a byproduct of, of, you know, whatever it is you go through with these folks and the, and that organization and, and the lifestyle. So, I think it was after my first deployment where I was like, uh, at least subconsciously, um, I was like, no, this is going to be something that is going to always be a part of me. And so I might as well see where it takes me. Now you talk about the, and we'll loosely call it the unhealthy approach of wanting to kind of stay in that circle. Yeah. What was it like for you going on throughout your entire career and, and coming out? Did you struggle with losing that or, or was it easy to walk away from it? The, that's a good question, man. I think, <clears throat> I think there's a, a part of you that is, again, after, you know, over 20 years, I got to serve. There's a, a, your, your entire young adulthood is dictated. I was going to say formed, but is dictated to by the, by the big organization. And so, um, to 
cut that loose is also cutting loose your young adulthood and now coming face to face with the fact that, you know, like there's that funny thing where like a guy joins at 18 and 20 years later, he gets out and he's still listening to the same music, wearing the same clothes from, cause it's like a, a time capsule. Um, and so, uh, it, it, for me, it wasn't so much at that point, 20 years later, it wasn't about, uh, the difficulty about leaving the organization cause it's going to stay with you. Um, I think, uh, for me, I'd gotten to a point where I didn't feel compatible with the organization I had initially joined. Um, the world changes and, and the, the, the military, I guess is supposed to change with the times. And I mean, I see the merits to that, but it, it got to the point where, um, I didn't feel compatible with it anymore. Um, and so that part sucked because it, then it, it does feel like, a um, something was, something's gone. That's never going to be, uh, you're able to get back. And, and as you go up in rank too, you know, it, it stops being, uh, for me, it stops being as fun. It becomes more about, um, admin stuff or whatever. And the, the one positive thing about moving up in rank is the, the soldier care aspect that you're able maybe to have at least a, within your limited sphere of influence, you could uh, help your dudes out. But, but then even, even then, man, the uh, relating to the newer generation is also, uh, pretty tricky. So by the, by the time I was getting out, um, I was ready to, to transition out, but, uh, there's definitely the, the bittersweetness of it for sure. Was it a, was it a struggle to get to 20 or was it at 20? You're like, nah, I'm just done. I'm, I'm going to get out. You know what? Um, my 20 years came with, with the pandemic. And, and so by this time I'm in the national guard, a full timer in the national guard here in California. And, um, they're slashing budgets for this, that, and the other because of the riots and because of the pandemic and, and budgets are getting rerouted all over the place. And so, um, I lost my full-time position with the guard, which, was kind of what sealed the deal because I, you know, I'm not going to make a life out of, um, being a, a weekend warrior type guy. And so, but I'd been active in, in one capacity or another for so many years, I was able to make a, a, a default career out of it that by the time they, they slashed it, it coincided with my getting my 20 year letter and, and it just, it didn't make sense for me to stay in anymore. You mentioned when you went in, the army gave you the option for a paratrooper mm -hmm. op or MOS. Was that a contract that you got yeah. straight going in? Yeah. That was freaking cool, man. And I got 3000 bucks as a bonus, <laughs> heavily taxed, but yeah. From the physical fitness aspect, mm -hmm. was it, was it hard for you or were you already in pretty good shape to go to that level? Um, no, I was not already in good shape to be at that level, but in particular, if, uh, I don't know if you know about airborne school, but it's a lot of running. Uh, I, honestly the jumping out of the plane, learning how to roll and fall and all that kind of stuff. It's not terribly difficult. So I always feel like that attached some difficulty to it. So what they did, I think is just, you're running everywhere. You're running to the child hall, you're running to the classroom, you're running to the field, whatever. Um, and so, and there's a couple of big old runs that you have to do. That was the hardest part of it. But because I went from, I went from boot camp at Fort Knox to advanced individual training at Fort Bragg. And after that, finally to uh, Fort Benning for um, airborne school. So I had those months of prep that, that made it. Plus I was, I was, I was still 18. So uh, I was, if I had plenty of buildup to get ready, um, they got me ready for sure. How was that selection process for you though? I mean, did you just struggle with it or, cause like you mentioned day one, banging the trash cans, like, oh, maybe I made a mistake. Right. When you're going, when you commit to that level, so I started, I started experiencing some success, which was, which felt great, man, because I, I 
kind of sucked at the end years of high school. So to finally feel or feel like I'm succeeding at something, because you know, there's light academics and boot camp and, and, and advanced individual training was was fairly rigorous academically. And so but I was I was doing well. And so that really boosted my confidence. Um uh, but the physical part of it, uh, too, I, I was also enjoying some success as I got in better shape. Um, and so I think it wasn't, I, I was hungry for it. It's like, cool. What, what could I do next? Cause I was enjoying that success. It's one of those, you're good at something cause you like it and you like it cause you're good at it. So that symbiotic kind of feeding off each other, um, that really helped. And, and it was, it was a, it was a fun time, man. Do you do your whole 20 years in airborne? Uh, let me see. Except the tail end. Yeah. I was always in, I was in a PSYOP unit, psychological operations unit there airborne. And then I, that's why you're asking me all those weird questions. (laughs) (laughs) These are not the questions you're looking for. And then, uh, and then after a couple of deployments, I, um, kind of wanted to slow down. So I switched to being a parachute rigger and that's where uh, it was fun as heck, man. It, It was just jumping and folding parachutes all the time. And then from there, um, I tried out for, I went to selection for special forces. And then towards the tail end of my career, I was in a, in a schoolhouse environment. So they had officer candidate school and a couple other schools. So by then I was, were you an instructor at that point? Yeah. Yeah. That's why. So by that point it was time to kind of, um, do the non-commissioned officer thing and start teaching the next generation, I guess. So at that point I wasn't, but I I logged 86 jumps and I got the knees in the back to prove it. (laughs) Yeah. When did army combatives, come to you yeah so um when the global war on terror was at its at its zenith i got the opportunity i got hired on here at camp roberts california uh at uh, task force warrior which was a pre-mobilization site and so one of the checklist items was that soldiers that are about to deploy have to go through is some hand-to-hand stuff and so um i got hired on and this was 2009 so you know, UFC and, and jujitsu, the popularity of it all is kind of, it's coming to a head. Uh, it hasn't quite jumped the shark yet, maybe, but it, it's getting there. And so I had, I had done combatives in the military and then I started training, um, the outside down in LA. And then, um, so I, I got up to like blue belt level and I just, I went, I, I, I'd heard about this, this team. And I was like, Hey, um, I'm blue belt and I'd love to come on. Uh, nothing, nothing was, uh, impressive to these guys because they're really good. Nothing in my resume is impressive. Bother. So I was like, Oh, a body, he trains, he's going to understand the lingo and he wants to work. So they hired me uh, not cause I'm any sort of good, but then I got taught the army way, the army combatives way, which, you know, in, in, in contrast to what we do, um, there's no referee, there's no rules. Uh, you know, and so the, the context is different, even from MMA, where there's still some rule set, um, you know, a, a soldier possibly, uh, in the, in a hand to hand situation, everything's on the table. So we have to approach, um, our system with that mindset. Cause you know, if you start worrying about, uh, or, or take for granted that they're not going to crank back your pinky, you know, that's a, that's a bad thing. And so a lot of, uh, some differences there, but once they got me kind of, um, spun up on how they do stuff, I was on the team and it was, it was fantastic, man. It was really fulfilling to be able to teach brother and sister, uh, soldiers a, a little bit of what I started really developing a passion for, um, and then sent them off down range with that. Had you done any form of martial arts or combatives training before going to that unit? 
No, that team? yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had started, so I, I got it in me that I was going to be the next Randy Couture because UFC is <laughs> really cool. So I started training down in. You're um, a little small. Yeah, yeah, down at PKG Academy in, in LA, and so I, I that's how I got up to blue belt, but but mostly uh, nogi stuff for MMA. So very rudimentary approach to jujitsu, really, as a if, if we're just isolating it. Um, so I and then I did a couple uh, uh, amateur fights. And and did did okay. I I didn't lose, um, and so I came with with that before going to the combative scene. But again, it was it, I still had to learn. I had to relearn because it, it wasn't a sport approach. It was a you know this dude's trying to tear your face off. Um, so much different approach. Is that combative's team to train you to be instructors or to train you to be a fighter representing the army? It was uh, initially we're just they they trained they trained me up. But me as a soldier, or me as an instructor. As a soldier, like going no, to that. No, yeah, it's just so that that particular team just spun you up on some basic stuff so you could deploy. Um, what ended up happening is uh, enough of us on the team, and it wasn't wasn't very big. I think at its biggest was maybe like six of us. Um, we we got a little bit of money and we started wearing army rash guards and shorts, and we'd go to competitions and kind of be a, a impromptu recruiting asset. And so we linked up with some recruiters and like, oh yeah, well, you know, here's some shorts or the, or the task force warrior, they bought us some stuff. And so we'd start competing a bunch. Um, and we'd go and, and we'd do the, um, some of our guys did the army combatives tournament at Fort Benning. Um, so we, we got to our, our main mission was of course the trained soldiers that are going down range. Um, and then on the side, again, because there's all this global war on terror money floating around, then we got to do a little bit of uh, ad hoc recruiting through competing. When did you make the switch to just focusing on jujitsu? After getting punched in the face, man, it sucks. I just had, you know, and, and also MMA stopped being fun because I had fights coming up. So, you know, it went from, and, and that was probably just my fault. Cause it was just like, I'll take the next one. I'll take the next one. Cause I was like trying to get after it again. I wanted to be the next Randy Couture. So, um, <laughs> You know, in training up for these fights, it, it started becoming very much feeling like work and it took a lot of the fun out of it, a lot of the, the joy that I initially had. And so I think uh, admitting that to myself, let me know that I, I wasn't meant to be a Randy Couture. And it was kind of like, uh, just like trying to go to airborne school or trying to join the military, something that terrified me. I'd never been in a street fight. Um, and so to now do it on purpose was super uh, enticing and terrifying but it's, it was like, check, I did it. I, I, I know I could do it. Um, but it, getting punched in the face sucks. And so does checking kicks with your shins, <laughs> just like shin on shin, like a bat a pipe to your, to your shins, man. Sucks. And I got these scrawny legs and it just stopped being fun. Cause I, it, um, it sucked. And then my wife and I were now expecting a baby and I was trying out for special forces. So I needed to start, you know, working out, doing a bunch of road marches and things and not have banged up knees and, or, or shins and stuff. So it was a, it was this conglomerate, this big old kind of everything coming to a head where I was like, nah, it's time for me to rotate out of this. But jujitsu, as you well know, it relatively low impact. And then, you know, you suck. And so you're hungry to keep learning and you can, because you're not walking away. Like, you know, if you maybe hyperextend your arm or some fluke accident, but, um, you're like, no, I gotta, I gotta take a deep dive into this. Cause it's, it's mentally addicting. Like, man, what? What are they, and the days you don't train, it's like, what did they learn? What did, <laughs> what did I miss out on? They're all going to get me now. So I, I stuck with jujitsu because it, 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 um, just of that, that fascination, like how, how far, how deep can I get with this? And, 
you could get pretty deep. Were you able to avoid any significant injuries during the time yeah, that you were man. actually competing? Thank God. Yeah. No, I, I never had any significant injuries. I, I definitely lucked out. Now you mentioned knees and backs from the jumps. Yeah. And then you mentioned obviously the experience and the, the pain that comes from training. Mm-hmm. You went to special forces selection. Yep. Did all of that impact you or how was that process? How, you know, how'd you, <clears throat> I was at my peak, I guess in my early thirties when I did that, which is super old for, for guys trying out. But, um, I think what I heart, what I had by my, by my early thirties was a little bit more grit. So, uh, you, you know, I, I didn't have anything physically that was impeding me. Um, I, I was in the best shape of my life when I, when I went to selection, uh, you have to be like your, your fitness has to be the last thing you're worried about. And, um, so I, I, I did really well. I got selected my first time around. It's not terribly uncommon, but it's, it, it's not, you know, there's a lot of times that guys have to go multiple times to pass. And so I, I was, I was super stoked. I, I made it the first time around. Uh, but physically I, I was, I was set. I was doing all right. Looking back on your career now, would you have done anything different? I might've tried out for special forces earlier on, um, just to, to, to have, uh, like I said, I did fine. I, 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 I did great on it and everything physically. Um, but I think I might've done it earlier if I could have just because it would, cause what held me back was this, am I ready yet? Am I ready yet? Am I ready yet? And, um, again, because you can't be too physically fit to go, um, not having been to selection before and all you hear is secondhand stories from, from green berets that already made it through you're, uh, I, I was, uh, super scrupulous about, you know, am I ready to go now? Um, but yeah, it's a minor thing really, but th- I would have gone earlier just to, just to, um, have been around longer. Being at coming, you said you were in your thirties, so you're, you're mm-hmm. already seeing that you're on the tail end of your mm-hmm. career. Did you end up deploying with special forces? Uh, in support of them, in support of them, yeah, to to parts of the Middle East and another place, all over the place, really, in support of them. Um, but I never, I never deployed as a Green Beret. And where I'm going with that is, and, and you already mentioned this, having if you could have redone it, yeah, done it earlier. But as far so was, and maybe this is a overly personal. Was it merely just? the opportunity to challenge yourself to see if you can make it through it. I think so, man. And I, and I think again, in his providence, God was probably like, now this, you know, you're starting a family and, and I got other plans for you. And so I, I, I think that was a big part of it. And, and that's not the person that should be on a team. Um, uh, I don't claim to know what's the best personality to have on a team, but I don't think it was me. And I think exactly what you described. It was, it was me. I wonder if I could make it through special forces school. And, and that was it. I don't, I don't think I really had it in me to then continue on with that, with that lifestyle at that stage in my life, which is why I say, I wonder if I would have started earlier, uh, would that have turned out differently? But, um, yeah, no, I, um, that, that, that was definitely it. One of the things that I've been talking to people about the podcast and, and originally the intention was to talk to people about preparing for their transition out of these careers. But one of the things I've been thinking about doing is start asking like yourself, you've gone through selection for somebody who might be listening, who wants to go to selection, what advice now that you've gone through it and maybe even having gone through it a little bit older, what advice would you throw out to somebody? Um, there's a gazillion and one, uh, workout programs now for guys that are, that are, uh, 
hoping to go through it. Um, just stick with one and then, you know, just time your life out. Well. So it's different. If you're active duty, you're kind of at the mercy of, of what your organization allows you to do. You, you do the best you can. And then you've got lots of other things to worry about for, for guard guys or reservists. Um, I, I think you have a little bit more latitude and, and preparation, but time out your life and then plan as if you're not going to make it. I know it sounds counterintuitive, but because everyone, you know, have a positive attitude, you'll make it. There's a time for that. But in planning when you're going to go and how you're going to get ready, you have to plan for the real possibility that you're not going to make it through at any given stage in the training. So if you don't make it to, through selection, well, great, that's fine. You just kind of fall back and life continues. You make it through selection, then you start the, the qualification course. If at any stage, you know, you don't pass one of the, one of the, the phases, then where does life pick up from? Um, and it, it means different things for different guys. You know, some of them will be like, well, I'm going to get back to it. Well, if you're a family guy, you know, give it a second, second thought because it, it's going to eat up your entire life when you're going through it. Um, if you're a family guy, you, you want to give that some serious consideration, but you know, if you're a young, hungry dude, then, you know, again, give yourself some, some, some fallbacks and, and some safety nets um, in case it doesn't pan out. And then you could kind of just pick up life from there instead of um, wallowing in, in, dang it, I didn't make it. But, you know, do what you can. I, uh, you know, they, they like smart guys. They're, uh, when I was going through, they, they were starting to look for, for choir boys, like clean records, clean everything. And so, you know, just be a good dude, have a lot of experience to bring to the table because in special forces in particular, they're, um, you know, they have the 18 x-ray program where you could sign in or, or enlist as a SF guy and they go through a long process and eventually make, eventually make it through. But you bring a lot more to a team uh, with some applicable experience. So if, if you don't have a degree, which gives you maybe a little bit of something to bring to the table, then make, you know, do enough in your career early on that you're bringing something valuable to the team. So um, uh, that could be anything. If you're an EOD guy, be the best EOD guy. If, if you're a... Uh, uh, an infantry guy, be the, you know, know your weapons inside out. So you really have to bring something unique that, that contributes to the, to the team. That's a unique perspective that you bring in that I don't think a lot of people think about is 18 years old, right out of high school, sign my contract. I'm guaranteed an op the chance right. to go, but what life experience do you bring to the team? Right. You know, as opposed to like you were going through into your thirties. So now you've at least got not only life, but you've got military experience. Mm -hmm. So it's that, it's that balancing act of what's best for the, yeah. the organization. Yep. Yep. And, uh, from what I understood, a lot of those, the younger to the 18 year old, the 18 x-ray guys, they'd put them straight into, um, the team sometimes, but, uh, they've got a lot of catching up to do cause they, they get fast tracked even through the ranks. By the time they're they're done with the Q course, I think they're like E5s and stuff, you know, sergeants, young sergeants with zero to very little uh, military experience. So they kind of have to like hurry up and, 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 and spin them up. Uh, but that's time that they, they could be uh, that, that, uh, the opposite end of the spectrum. You could have a, a grizzled E6 uh, a staff sergeant and it's got tons of experience and a squad leader and everything and, 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 and bring something already. They don't have to spin you up. So make yourself desirable or marketable to the team. Cause they, they got very little time to spin you up. You mentioned getting stationed up here in the, in the past Robles area, as far as your deployments or stations, where did you like the best? I'm out here. 
Yeah, for sure. Here, um, I was I was in Santa Barbara for a little bit when I was a parachute rigger, and that was fantastic. But up here, um, uh, I also got to do San Diego. I was on the border mission when when the border patrol was severely undermanned, and they they called up the National Guard to help them out. And so that was a lot of fun. Um, that's where I met my wife. So it, it you know, and and then, uh, but up here it was great because um, it's training country, and I like to train. You know, so when you're too close to the flagpole at any you know, base or, or posting, um, it kind of gets, uh, you're worried about external things, but at least here up at Camp Roberts, it was training country, man, day in and day out, we're, we're training soldiers. So that was a lot more uh, gratifying. By the time you were ready to, you got out what year? 2021. Did you already have your black belt at that point? No, no, I've been a black belt for a year. So what was your plan? Cause obviously now we're, we're sitting in your studio today yeah. and I want to get to that, but what was your plan coming out? What were you thinking you were going to do? Dang. I don't think I know. Um, you know, no one else has ever said that. So don't, yeah. don't worry about it. Yeah. No, I think, uh, I, I was training at a, at a school here and the, the guy that owned it there, um, right before the pandemic or as it was kicking off in a previous life, he was a, a real estate guy. So he, he, um, he did the, he did a for sale by owner for us. He represented us. We got our current home and then his commission was our buying into the school, into the, the academy. So we became part owners of that. And, and we started seeing that that opportunity was presenting itself, um, again, right. As I was getting ready to figure out if I'm getting out and then the, 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 the job falls out from under my feet. So it was by necessity and by, again, by Providence that we're, we're laid into that opportunity. So it was merely that because the studio you were training at kind of offered you the opportunity, yeah. you didn't really go looking for it. Um, no, I mean, we'd been training there and then, you know, I started, I'm talking about from like the business perspective. Oh no, 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 no. Um, if it wasn't for that, I think I, I might still be in, um, begrudgingly, but, uh, I, I think I might have still stayed in. And you, you mentioned meeting your wife, your wife's a veteran also, correct? Yeah. yeah. And did she get out at the same time with you? No, she got out. Um, she did, you know, like eight, 10 years, uh, but she got out when we, when we got pregnant with our daughter. Um, and so she, she got out there just cause it, 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 the military is not particularly despite their best efforts or, or what they say about, you know, family first and all this stuff. It, it can't, you know, they got a, they got a mission to do. And so it became, um, not conducive to motherhood. And, and so she, she just decided to, to end her career. I would, uh, I would also imagine not having been in it, it's gotta be difficult just as a marriage, because if you're getting deployed one direction, mm -hmm. she's getting deployed another direction. How do you have a, a central meeting point? Yeah, no, we, we avoided that right on time. Um, cause that, that would have been coming. And so instead she was super supportive. Um, you know, she moved out when we moved out to North Carolina for the, for the Q course and, you know, she came out super duper supportive. It helped that she knew that world having been in it herself and, and her father, my father-in-law is a vet. And so it, you know, we, it, it runs big in our families. And so, um, that just allowed it to be, it allowed her to be way more supportive and I'll be eternally grateful for that for sure. So when did it come the idea for you to own your own studio yeah. and, and be your own boss. <clears throat> a couple of months ago, um, things soured with my partner. Um, and so we, 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 we broke loose and a lot of the student, this is where some of that like weird stuff in jujitsu, the jujitsu world happens, but I was the head instructor. So my partner had moved on to, 
to do other stuff in out of state. And so a lot of the students, um, I was with them. And so when, when we, when you kind of forced us out, when we parted ways, um, they're like, all right, so where are you going to open up your school? I, 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 we didn't know what we were going to do. It it sucked, um, getting blindsided like we did. And, but then to have the support of the, of the students, I'm, I'm humbled to say it was about 80% of the students were like, okay, we're done there. Where are you going to open up your school? And so we started, we started training out of buddies, uh, you know, as a traditional like workout gym, um, strong first here in Paso. And, and we just, everyone brought their mats from, from their house. And we kept training once a week or a couple times a week, you know, for free, I wasn't charging anyone or nothing. We were just kind of rolling. And that solidarity man was crushingly, um, humbling, you know, for me, like, that the it wasn't loyalty to me i i hope it was more to what we had built up as a team and so uh it it was through their persistence through their encouragement that that we opened this place up um this past year and how'd you come up with the name virtus latin for for virtue man and and it's in in homage to that first group of folks that encouraged us to open up a school Uh, i see them as people of virtue um and 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 it just great people, man. You'll, you'll meet them here. And, and, and they were the ones that, that really encouraged us and supported us financially. Um, the mats were sitting on the paint, everything, man, it was all a team effort. Everyone came in here and did it, uh, and helped me out. And so it was kind of in, in homage to them that, that I see them as people of, of virtue. And, and I think, um, the more people like them in the world, the better the world is. So it, it was an homage to them there's a lot of podcasts out there today. A lot of people talking about jujitsu. Mm-hmm. Um, I trained jujitsu. I truly believe, especially from my side of the house, the first responder community, it's yep. very important. But one of the things that I've seen from interacting, not only on the mats doing jujitsu, but doing this podcast is how much jujitsu can give veterans and first responders that community again. Are you experiencing that also? Absolutely, man. We, we participate in the Heroes Jiu-Jitsu program. Uh, and this is basically an uh, organization that will help kind of promote your school if you uh, support um, first responders, military veterans, even teachers. And so every Monday at 6, we offer free classes for them. So, uh, you know, we have lots of, of correctional officers in there because we got a prison. And then obviously our, our cops and deputies. And, and we will loan them a gi and they just take free classes. And I think, um, for them, it's essential for, for you guys, you know, first responders, it's essential. You guys are out there all the time. And, you know, today's world where, um, we're so liability adverse, you know, going to your gun, maybe isn't the rightfully so the, the first option you need to, but you need to protect yourselves too. Right. And then, um, for our vets, what I see is the desire, the need the longing for that, that, that commodity that they used to have when they were still in. And so I think it's in suffering through things with other people that those bonds are formed. And so in a, in, in a, in microcosm in, in some way, you know, the, the suffering we encounter on the mats, I think is where that, that is met or satisfied. And, and hopefully for our LEOs, hopefully we're, we're able to keep them savvy with some tools that could keep them safe, man. Cause we, we support them a hundred percent here. We talked about this before we started recording. Now's your, your marketing side of it coming in. Mm-hmm. Somebody's thinking about getting going. Would you recommend a, an even balance between gi and no gi? Would you recommend starting one over the other or just dead or focusing on one over the other? Um, 
Well, all right. So I, I'm biased. So I think everybody is. I think uh, I'm a purist. I, I love the traditional um, stuff about our art. And I think it's a good idea to start with ghee because uh, there's the handles and the, and the, the friction and everything that happens with the ghee. Um, but I think if you're going to do no ghee, you better get started when you're, when you're younger and you could do it, you know, cause for me, you know, ghee or no ghee is so dynamic and, it, and it's so, and it's so changing. And then even technique wise, like every week there's some new technique or something that's, that's taking over the, you know, no ghee and it goes through these waves and these evolutions of, of, you know, so nogi has become in, in my view this homogenous just grappling it's not even jiu-jitsu anymore it's this blend of 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 jits and and wrestling and it's just it's grappling now and so for me as a purist um uh my bias leans towards traditional gi just so that you could um experience that before you get thrown into now you know and it's kind of like if you're if grappling has become the mma or, or of jujitsu, right? Cause now you, you have to know jits, you have to know wrestling, a bunch of stuff to, to be, if you're, if you're competitive, uh, if you're just out for the experience and, you know, do whatever. But if you're competing, I, I think like you would need an, exp- at least a, a light exposure to a bunch of styles. Um, so for me, it's just like center on this one thing, get good at one thing. Um, and that's, that's where, that's where I come from. Putting the old man hat on and somebody yeah. who's got the knees and the backs from <laughs> jumping. See, I keep shifting. I can't find my weight, man. Oh. How does an old guy keep going with, especially if they're starting <clears throat> older, but it's, if they're already into it, keep going as an older jujitsu practitioner? Yeah, man. Longevity is the name of the game. So you don't have to drain five days a week. Um, but if you do, and I tell this to everyone, not even just my older guys, it's train at a, at a level of intensity that you could sustain five days or however many days a week you want to train. So, um, you know, cause we get overzealous. We have to get that win. We have to end up on top. We have to pass the guard. Um, no, you don't. Sometimes you could, you'll learn just as much by, you know, the, your, your failures as your successes. So, but my, the, the biggest thing is just be cognizant of your limitations and, and train according to them. There's no shame in it. it, it you know, you're, you're awesome just for even having, um, having the courage to step onto the mat at that age of, of a certain, of a certain age. So stick with it, you know, have, have fun with it, enjoy it and, and, and reap the benefits of a responsible approach to training. Have you experienced yet many of the, the veterans or first responders coming in and struggling to let the ego mm. not come with them on the mat? Uh, thankfully, no, I, I haven't had ego be an issue. What I, what I do see with, uh, some of our, uh, law enforcement guys is um, they train because they're going to go to work that night. And so their intensity is real. They approach training in a very real world, real world way. So their intensity is always a little bit higher. And so when our cops or our COs come in, we're like, ah, dude, we're just training right now. But it, it's just, you know, they, they have, they have that mentality cause they're still in it, man. They're still in the fight. And so I, I don't blame them for it, but now it's, you know, just matching people accordingly and uh, either by size or, or, or experience level to kind of mitigate that. Um, but I, I don't fault them for it at all. Like they're going to work that night, man. Like they, they're, they're training for it. From a business owner's perspective, any advice you can give to a veteran or a first responder looking to become your own boss, something that maybe you've already experienced that you didn't think of? Um, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And, and 
you know, I was in the super privileged position to have a membership waiting me, for me to open as opposed to having open a school and then having to market to bring folks in. Um, so you, you can't start marketing early enough if you're starting off, if, if you want to do your own school, but, um, but don't be afraid. Cause I think we have such ginormous teams, um, uh, around the world, you know, in the game. And, and, and so just, you know, we're not affiliated with anybody. I, I, I decided to, to, that we were going to be on our own. And with that comes the challenges of, you know, curriculum development and, and being unique and, and, and establishing your own culture that's both the blessing and the curse because you, you have to start a lot of it from the ground up and, and by and large, it's going to be shaped by you and by the way your students perceive you. So, um, if, if you, because I think we've all been to schools where it's, um, super competition centric. And so it, it's very ego driven and everyone's very much after, you know, getting ready for their next competition, decide what kind of culture you have. So here we, we don't, we're not, I'm not going to push anyone to compete as a, any sort of metric to, you know, where you're at or anything. It's, it's encouraged it, but it's, I'm not going to push it on folks cause it's not for everybody. And so for, and, and the biggest thing I'd say, uh, business wise is if you neglect a kid's program, you're, you're, you're missing out on a, on a big chunk, man, and have a good kid's program. Don't just be a babysitter. Um, be personable with the parents and, and engage with them, but authentically don't be, don't be fake. And I, I think as, as vets, we, we can do that really well. Um, but yeah, the kids program, it, it, it could, it could really float you if you do it well. And, and you're, and you're creating lifelong practitioners and, and lifelong students if, if you're doing it right. Well, I appreciate your time and I yeah, wish you man. all the continued success, man. Thank you very much, dude. Thanks for coming. I appreciate you watching, but before you go, if you like the video, please hit that subscribe button. Also, any comments are appreciated. Thank you.